today, we want to explore one of these purposes that God has designed to bless when it comes to the church, and that is the topic of worship. Now, I want to look at worship from a very specific dimension. I want to look at worship from a dimension that rarely gets discussed and yet is absolutely critical to properly understanding worship. In fact, if we don't have this particular understanding of worship, then our worship will be misdirected. But we rarely talk about worship in this regard. You know, I've been a pastor now for 30 years. I grew up in the church ever since I was like 10 years old. So I've been around the church for a long time. And here's my observation that when most people talk about worship, they generally think in two categories. One of the categories is that people think of worship as music, songs, and singing. Those are worship songs. This is the worship set. I'm going to a worship service where they're going to just have singing. And it's always in terms of like, this is worship is when we sing. Some other people, their understanding of worship is that, well, I'm going to a service at a church and there's going to be like a liturgy, like a, a, a formal uh, proceeding of the services. And we're going to pray and we're going to look at our Bibles and we're going to sing and we're going to do these things. And that's worship. I'm going to a worship service at my church. And you know what? They're not wrong. It's just that there's so much more to what worship is really all about than just those things. And so today I wanna to try to explain to you the fuller dimension of understanding what worship is. So um, I'm on a triathlon team and one of my teammates just recently became an American citizen. Um, we were celebrating at a recent swim session that she had been a part of a naturalization ceremony and had achieved this milestone in her life. And we were celebrating her. And uh, she's a wonderful person. She's a very dynamic personality. Uh, she's incredibly intelligent. She is a professor at UTSA. She teaches in the arena of like medical ethics and the philosophy of like medical health care. Uh, very, very intelligent. She's been published. She's got a couple of books to her name. And um, she's just a delightful personality. She's originally from Turkey. And she has a wonderful command of the English language, although there are times in a conversation where she's like, she can't find the exact word that she's wanting to use to say something. Or more often, we'll be talking to her and we might use a phrase, uh, an idiom that's familiar to us, but she's not familiar with it. And you can just see this kind of curious look on her face. And like I said, she's, she's delightful, but she can be very forthright. And she'll just stop you right in the conversation. She'll go, what is this word you use? What, what does that mean? What is this word that I'm looking for? And then we get into this wonderful game of trying to figure out what she was trying to say and find the word that she was looking for or, or using some other English words to try to describe the, the one that we just used so that she'll have an understanding of this expression. And this is what we call translation, right? So here's where I want to begin today. I want you to understand that the Bible went through a translation process, a very scholarly, a very scientific, a very deliberate process for translating the scriptures from its original languages into the language for, say, English. 
So you may or may not know that the Bible, uh, the books of the Bible, we call them, they're actually letters or documents or records more than books as we understand the word books. But um, the Old Testament was primarily written in the language of Hebrew and the New Testament letters were primarily written in the language of Greek. And when the authors were writing their letters, their documents, their records, they were choosing words from their vocabulary that existed at that time in their culture. They were using Hebrew vocabulary that meant something. They were using Greek vocabulary that meant something. And so they chose words specifically for what they were trying to communicate. And then the readers of those letters, those documents, those words, they were using, they were using a familiar frame of reference of the meanings that were attached to those Hebrew words or those Greek words. And then at some point in history, it was decided that the Bible really needs to be in other people's languages. And so there were translations made into Latin and then into German and eventually at some point into English. And the challenge of the scholars who were doing the translation is to find English words that existed in our vocabulary that would be familiar or similar to the words of Hebrew and Greek. Do you understand that? That was the translation process. So, one of the words that you run into often in the Bible is the word worship. And it's interesting how the translators handled the word worship in its different nuances. And so what we find is that this word worship, it, it doesn't occur in the Old Testament. And the word worship doesn't occur in the New Testament in the original Hebrew and Greek language. In fact, one of the most popular words that's translated worship is a Greek word that's used dozens of times in the, in the New Testament. And it had a very specific meaning and it didn't mean worship. It meant this, it meant to bow down. It meant to kiss. It meant to lay prostrate. I always have to stop and say that correctly. I, seriously, I have to say my prostrate. That's what the word meant. It didn't mean worship, it meant to bow down, to kiss, to lay prostrate. It had the idea of reverence or respect, humility. It had the idea of submission and like servitude or serving in response to somebody's position. And here's why, because in those contexts of Hebrew and Greek culturally, there were often societies that were ruled by monarchs or kings or emperors. And in the case of emperors, emperors were perceived as being gods and they literally held your life in their hands. So to be summoned before the emperor, you risk coming out of there alive based on the nature for why you might've been called before the emperor. And so when somebody came into the presence of the emperor, their first rule was that you never laid eyes directly on theirs. In fact, you'd come in and you would bow down immediately to demonstrate the distinction or separation between the two of you. Depending on the situation, if it was severe enough, you would actually lie down on the ground, your face in the dirt, your chest on the ground, lay out in front of it as an act of complete and utter submission. Your life is completely dependent upon their favor and grace toward you. If you were permitted the opportunity and the occasion called for it, you might crawl to the throne close enough to actually kiss the feet of the emperor as a sign 
of submission and respect. And so here's English translators centuries later trying to think up of a word that might describe this idea of reverence and submission and respect to the degree that it was understood in the Hebrew language and it was understood in the times of the Greek language. And the word that they found was actually an old English word that had Latin roots. And it was the word worship. But in its Latin roots, it's actually not pronounced worship. It's pronounced another way. It's pronounced worth-ship. That this expression of bowing down and showing reverence to God or to Jesus was actually a display, a, a demonstration of what one believed to be God's worth, his value. And so what we find is that worship isn't just singing. Worship isn't just going to church. In fact, listen to me. In fact, it's possible to go to church every Sunday in your life and know and sing every one of the songs and never, in fact, worship God. And so what we find in the scriptures is that worship is anything that you do with the intent of showing God how much he's worth to you. You can go to work with the intent of showing God how much he's worth to you. You can go about raising your children in an attitude of showing God how much he's worth to you. From the monumental to the mundane things of life, we can all worship God when our heart's position is one of bowing down in humble submission to tell God just how much he's worth to us. You know, we talk a lot about Jesus being our savior. And that's a wonderful thought and it's an important aspect of our faith. What we don't talk about as much is that Jesus is our Lord or our King. He's our boss. And yet this is how the scriptures, they speak of Jesus. This is how God, the Father, speaks of his son, Jesus. This is a couple of examples. Philippians chapter two, the writer says this, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place gave Jesus the name that's above every name. I mean, there's no other important person in all of history and all the earth that at the name of Jesus, every knee, uh, name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should what? Should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is King, Lord, the emperor, because this brings glory to the father when his son is lifted up and seen as the king that he is. I love how Apostle Paul writes in his letter to Timothy, says, um, speaking of Jesus, now to the king, Jesus is the king, the king eternal, the king immortal, the king invisible, the only God. To him be all honor and glory forever and ever, amen. This is how we approach Jesus, who is our Lord and our king. Peter writes in his epistle, he writes this, but in your hearts, revere, respect Christ as 
Lord or as king. That's worship. It's possible to come to church every Sunday and, and never go there. I don't like the music. I don't like the style. I don't like the volume. I don't like what we do during the service. I wish the sermons were shorter. And, and, and never ever find a place where it's not about me and my comfort and my convenience. It's about my king and showing him what he's worth to me. So every Sunday here at Sybil Creek, we, we, we offer a worship service. And you know, for 25 years now, we've had a few guiding principles that influence our worship as a church family. Here, here's three of them. The first one is this, that everyone is welcome here. The doors of our church are open to anybody and everybody, no matter where they might be spiritually, whether they've been a Christian for, for years and years or whether they're not even a Christian yet. They have yet to discover a relationship with Jesus. In fact, they may be opposed to it. They may be suspicious of it. They may be cynical about it. You're welcome here. I don't care if you're, if you're rich or poor if you're educated or uneducated, if you're white collar or blue collar, if you're black or white, if you're gay or straight, everyone is welcome here as an opportunity to learn of this great king that we come together to worship. Everyone's welcome here. And the second one is, is even more important and that is that it's all about Jesus. That what we do here on a Sunday morning is to share with you the person of Jesus and who we understand him to be as declared in the pages of the scripture, savior of the world, creator of the universe, our loving shepherd, savior of our soul. It's all about Jesus. No matter where you might come from and where you might be, what we're gonna talk about here at Cibolo Creek on a Sunday morning is we're gonna talk about Jesus and his place in your life. And if you ever say, why do we talk so much about Jesus? Because Jesus is everything that the scriptures have to reveal to us as human beings. It's all about Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. And the third is this, the Bible is our foundation. You see, it's in the pages of the scripture like no other source. It's in the pages of the Bible that we learn of Jesus and who he is. And in learning of Jesus, we recognize that when it comes to the cross, when it comes to grace, when it comes to the offer of the gospel, all, everybody is welcome here. Everybody's welcome here to discover more about Jesus as described in the pages of his word. And folks, I just can't emphasize enough how important it is that we understand Jesus as described and defined by the word of God. It's interesting. In this day and age that we live, these contemporary times, how often people refer to Jesus as a way to kind of advance their ideology or their political perspective or their personal choices. And they wanna portray Jesus as a certain way, but what we find is that they portray Jesus in a way that he's not described in the scriptures. 
here at Civil Creek, we're committed to doing our very best to understand Jesus as described in the pages of God's word to us. And if there was ever a time in history when we must have a wonderful and deep understanding of God's word, it's certainly in our contemporary society as it moves faster and faster toward a post-truth era. People understand Jesus as described in the word of God is the crying need of our contemporary society. But there's something interesting about God's word that comes with blessing that I want us as a church family to understand. Look at how God speaks about his words. He says, my thoughts, they're not your thoughts. God's saying, I don't think like you do. You think a certain way and you're convinced that you think the best and the brightest the wisest ways, but I, I'm so far ahead of you. My, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways, they're not your ways. I, I know you're in your intelligence, how you would choose to do something, but I'm God and I think in ways that you can't begin to understand. And I, I anticipate things that you don't even know to, that will exist someday in the future. And, and so I have some ways that I'm at work in ways that are not your ways. You might cross your arms and you might fight and resist me on the fact that you sort of thought that I should have done something differently, but my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher, bigger, better than your ways and my thoughts, the depth of wisdom and intelligence that I possess are higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word. My word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty. In other words, every single word that God speaks will come to pass Every promise that he's ever made will be fulfilled, but it will accomplish what I desire and it will achieve the purposes for which I sent it. There's a promise for a bright future in there. That as you and I give ourselves to an understanding of the significant divine nature of God's words as they're described in the scriptures, that as we submit our lives to him, our lives will be blessed like the fields that he talks about, blessed by the rain. Because God's words will always be fulfilled. Oh, this passage of scripture, look at this in, in the book of Joshua. God says, be strong be courageous, don't be faint, don't be afraid, don't be anxious, be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Why? That you may be successful wherever you go. That you will know my favor and my blessing towards you. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Keep it close by, meditate on it day and night, always be thinking about it, always be reflecting on it, always be mauling it over in its truth and its wisdom and how it applies to your life. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then here's promise. Then you will be 
prosperous and successful. You will know my blessing, my favor, my help, my guidance as you live in step with the instructions that I provide in the scriptures. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord, your God will be with you wherever you go as you go in steps of obedience to my word. So we come to the New Testament letters. James writes a very telling letter to the first century church. And I love what he says in in James chapter one. He says, uh, do not merely listen to the word. A lot of people do that. Show up on a Sunday morning, they, they merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, well, they're kind of like somebody who looks at his face in the mirror in the morning when they get up and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He doesn't do anything to fix that mess. He says, it's like that. If somebody looks at the word of God but doesn't do anything in response to it, but whoever looks intently, deliberately, studiously, anybody who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Huh, reminds me of something Jesus once said, the truth will set you free. The perfect law that gives freedom and you continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, here it is, the promise of a bright future. They will be blessed in what they do, raise a family, nurture a marriage, pursue a career, have influence. They will be blessed if they do what they've learned to be true in the scriptures. Jesus said, he said, he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make apprentices, people who follow Jesus like you have. You go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them because they, they need to go through a, a, a process of conversion where they're placing their faith in Christ for the first time and then declaring publicly through the act of baptize, baptism, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then to do what? Teach them... To go to church and listen to the sermon? No, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And here's the promise of a bright future. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age that God is with a person in a unique way who will take seriously the commands of not just knowing the scriptures, but doing them in obedience to the King, Jesus, Lord. Lots of churches, they listen to God's word. They talk about God's word. They teach God's word. They offer classes in God's word. Lots of churches memorize God's word and they sing songs about God's word. But, but the, the important point is that, that we are a church that does God's word. That as we learn what it says, 
we interpret its principles to a, its application in our life here in the 21st century, then we step out in faith when that boldness, that courage that he speaks of toward Joshua, and he says, I'm going to step out and I'm going to do what God says. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, Jesus taught, now that you've seen what I've done, you will be what? Blessed if you do them. So here's what I want to leave you with this morning. There is no greater expression of worship. We can talk about worship in all of its different forms, all of its shapes and sizes, but there's no greater expression of worship, no greater expression of demonstrating God's worth to you than living your life in obedience to the way of God as revealed in the word of God. So here's, here's how we'd think about that in terms of this particular series. We believe the future is bright at Cibolo Creek if we remain committed to the study of God's word in order to put it into practice in our life as Christians. That we as a church make a commitment that when we gather together here or in an elective or in your small group, your life group, whenever we gather together for the purpose of studying God's word, we ask ourselves, what does this mean to my life in the way that I would live differently as one who professes to be a follower of Jesus? If the end of our study is simply the accumulation of theological data, then we stop short of what it was intended for. We must always ask ourselves the question, what does this mean to my life and the way that I live it? And in that we achieve the highest expression of worship that we can possibly give our lives to. Does that make sense? Thank you for listening today. I've been served notice that this first service must end on time. <laughs> and I think I've nailed it. So let me ask you to stand together. Don't forget on your way out this morning, pick up one of these yard signs, put it near your house and invite your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers to come and be a part of what we're doing here at Sibla Creek. Make sense? You guys are awesome. Father, thank you so much for this time together. And God, my prayer as the pastor of this church is that we will have a long history of gathering together in a variety of different places where your name is lifted up in worship and every heart in the room understands your great worth to us. The significance of your love and your grace, your mercy, your holiness, your righteousness, and that we might see your son Jesus and his place in our life as our king, our Lord, our master, and we would humbly submit ourselves to whatever he might ask us to do. May, they, may that be the spirit of worship in this place. I pray and ask in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thanks, gang. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. <laughs>